But he's he's taking these shots, this antagonism, yep. this taunting to the intelligence Let me tell community. You, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. What are they going to do to us, Chuck? What, what, yeah, what are, what are the six ways from Sunday you're talking about? I'm a little... It almost seems as though that the president wasn't in charge of the executive branch. That would be a problem. That means we're Ooh. being run by something else, right? I mean, yes. you know, like, aren't, isn't that what he's implying? Welcome back to the show. Uh, we have got another really interesting week of news for you, starting with Trump indictment number three. If you're still counting, we're at number three. Also, Hunter Biden's former business associate, Devin Archer, has appeared in front of Congress this week and did an interview with Tucker Carlson, and he revealed a ton of damning evidence against the Biden family and their dealings with Ukraine and elsewhere. And finally, we're going to talk about an American-born journalist who's dual citizen with Chile, residing in Ukraine. He detailed this really epic story of torture and imprisonment in Ukraine all over some YouTube videos that he posted. He was trying to escape the country, and it's been a very, very interesting story. We're going to dig into that as well. Joining me to talk about those things... The usual suspect, David Rand. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you? I'm great. It, it doesn't seem doing like you're than me. doing perfectly great, though. <laughs> I can't lift my arm above here. That's about it. That's all the motion I got. Right For now. those of you just listening, David is in a, a shoulder sling. So we, we discussed a few episodes ago with Adam Thune that, that he injured you rolling jujitsu, correct? Yep, yep. And so you just had that operated on? Yeah, I got a, a platelet-rich therapy in the shoulder, which uh, basically they take out your blood, they distill it down they in a centrifuge, and they inject it back in. And then that causes the, the immune system to go in and repair the tissue. Otherwise, it would take like a year and a half to get like 60% of use back. This way, hopefully, it takes about three or four months, and I'll get 80 to 100% of use back. Okay, so That's so it's idea. different than adrenochrome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you haven't tried that yet, have you? That's the next step. No, not adrenal chrome. I don't. I wouldn't have these bags under my eyes. You know, I wouldn't be all tired all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll work on that next. Okay, <laughs> one thing at a time. <laughs> Kyle Mack, how are you, sir? Doing great. Awesome. Looking forward to this episode. Absolutely. Well, let's dig right into it. Uh, Trump indictment number three. Let's re- let's recount them. What was number one? Number one was Stormy Daniels and the potentially using campaign funds to pay off someone after a hush money for a sexual scandal. Right. And then number two was the documents at Mar-a-Lago that right. were, you know, classified documents he took from the white house during his presidency, that there was the kerfuffle with the FBI raiding mm-hmm. his home in Florida. And if you remember our coverage of that back then, it had to do with whether or not the espionage act applied to this or whether or not the presidential records act applied to this. So the presidential record acts pretty much says presidents have a different standard when it comes to classified evidence after they're no longer president. And just a note of clarity on those first two, are those still happening? Yeah. Have yeah. There's a resolved? great New York times, I think like countdown to each one. Cause they de- each have different court dates. Oh, sure. And obviously the one we're going to talk about today is the furthest behind in those. Cause it was just filed, just filed this just, last week, just this week. So uh, what do they got them on now? So it's uh the accusation is four different counts. One conspiracy to defraud the United States, Two, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Three, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And four, conspiracy against voting rights. And this all stems from the activities on January 6th and his speech that occurred adjacent to what happened at the Capitol. People have been saying that. I don't think that's exactly right. I I think it's January 6th as condensed down from the period of the election to 
January 6th and the various speech, legal argumentation, and uh, tweeting that happened in that time frame. So, okay, so here's a good example. So the summary, like the quickest, tightest way I could think of is that the claims he made about fraud in 2020, in the 2020 elections were knowingly false and that by conspiring with his lawyers, who in this case are co-conspirators, because that's what's interesting here, his co-conspirators are all his lawyers, uh, it was a conspiracy to unlawfully obstruct the ceremonial confirmation of the election and thereby overturn the election, right? And so that's what's interesting here is, I mean, the thing actually says itself that he has the right to free speech. He has the right even to have, to say untrue things, evenly, even knowingly true things, right? things he knows are false. So mm. that, that's, that's an interesting little detail there. And second, that he's entitled to formally challenge the results of the election. This is all course. listed in the indictment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the indictment has like an upfront what we're not doing section. And mm. that's one of the things I've gotten kind of confused by the coverage I've seen on Twitter is it's like, well, this just violates the First Amendment and this is what they're saying. And, and they obviously didn't consider that. No, they do consider that upfront. And they say this is that. They say that he has the right to formally challenge through the court process these various different things. So... And, and, you know, I read uh, as much of it as I could in the time frame I had. I've been a little bit high on pain medication, so I couldn't remember it all very well. Um, but the indictment, it does, it does, it seems to be arguing that the, it implies that the legal advice that he got from his lawyers was somehow a conspiracy to overthrow the United States and to deny voting rights. That's Be, like a so quick because quick yeah because they were telling him this is a potential route that's never been done before but theoretically it works right? yeah yeah and so let's review what the what, what at least one of the things was so okay one of the things I'm seeing on Twitter is that there was a bunch of stuff that where like Trump called like AGs and like threatened them to get fired unless they overthrow the election and stuff like that that's those are accusations being made that doesn't seem to be what's in here though um, from what I saw. It seems like this mostly has to do with, okay, here's the timeline. I'll go through the timeline. <laughs> November 2020. Trump and lawyers, they say that the VP has the ceremonial role in the Senate to authenticate the election after all the results are in. That they can deny the election authenticity because there are existing lawsuits that had been fired by the Trump campaign. Right. So remember, this is January, and the election was two months beforehand. The D.C. and media establishment all say that's idiotic, right? It's never been done before, and it's a misinterpretation of the code. The lawyers say, well, it's vague, so why not try, right? And so they try to persuade the VP at the time. Um, Mike Pence. Mike, Mike Pence, Pence. I was just going to say Indiana governor. I can't remember. <laughs> I might still have a little pain reliever. Forgettable Mike, as, <laughs> yeah. as he's known. Um Jan 6th happens, right? Which is supposed to be the day where this is supposed to happen. Uh, idiots run around the Capitol. Violence occurs. Terrible day for the U.S., of course. Nothing is interrupted to the degree that the authentication election doesn't happen, right? And so that's really the interesting part of this is three years later now, we have this lawsuit that says if they had persuaded Pence, could he have that would have overthrown the government of the United States. So had something happened that didn't actually happen, it would have meant that Trump could have overthrown Because otherwise, why is it a conspiracy? Right? If, you, right? if you ask someone to do something that is just a ceremonial position, how can that be a conspiracy? Is it just the intent to object to an election? Is that, the, is that illegal? That can't be illegal because they say that he has both a free speech right and a process right to do so. 
so if it's just the intent, how can you make the argument that it's that 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 he's not exercising that right if it's legal or if it's illegal, then he's not doing anything. I mean, he's just, well, and furthermore, I mean, and you mentioned this now three times, it's ceremonial. Right. It's not actually the legal process of certifying the election that, that the Senate was doing on January 6th. It was just, it's a ceremony. It's, yeah. it's symbolic, right? And that is, that's a, a key term. Like right. by interrupting that, it doesn't actually stop the election from being certified. This is what is so curious about it, because you have people who are saying January 6th would have overthrown the government, right? And you're like, ah, really? <laughs> that doesn't seem likely. It's that easy, though, too? <laughs> I mean, and then you have them simultaneously saying that it, like that was like this huge threat and this hugely serious thing, while at the same time basically saying that it, it simultaneously was already set in stone. It was already done. It was already locked in. So... Which is it? I mean, is it, was it this huge threat? And how, how was that true? How could that possibly be true? Like if Q, <laughs> there's a great tweet by Tracy, um, Michael Tracy, Michael Tracy. And it's like, if the Q shaman had just, you know, yodeled one more stanza in the house of representatives and the whole government would have collapsed. Right. <laughs> like yeah. that's not how it works. I'm pretty, pretty certain that a coup couldn't be performed without guns. Right. Like, and just, especially when the police, the Capitol police, like we're so facilitating of the whole thing and so many dimensions, not every dimension, sure. real violence happened. Oh yeah. But like with this strangely confusing thing. Yeah. So he tried to overthrow the government through violence. He's talking about Trump. I know. Thank God he failed. If that shirtless shaman had been able to yodel in the Senate chamber for just two minutes longer, the most powerful government in world history would have literally been overthrown. I still lie awake at night shivering about it. <laughs> but that's, that's the crazy thing. I just don't... I, it's, it's, a, it's, it's strange because over a thousand people have been charged in relation to January 6th. Most of them were nonviolent. Most of them never even went to the Capitol. The Q shaman guy, shirtless dude in the in the tweet, he get, he's getting four years in prison. So it's insane that you know. So it's like that is in contrast with this whole thing. Like those those people did do something that was pretty clearly illegal, right? You can't go onto the grounds unless you're invited, right? Um, not the people who just went to a protest, though, right? There's like an over prosecutorial like fervor going on that's going way beyond any sensibility or rights. And maybe Trump is just getting wrapped into that. Maybe this is political. I mean, I mean, one thing that we do know for certain is that if, if I'm this confused, <laughs> what the heck the basis of this lawsuit is at this point, um, maybe don't do it. Right. Like maybe lacking some things. Yeah. Like if you're going to prosecute the existing 2020 election front runner against the current government, unless you want to be a banana republic, maybe don't bring a lawsuit unless it's very straightforward and very clearly violating the law where you got some solid evidence. And maybe they do. There's still a lot of stuff that still hasn't come out. There's still a lot of findings still to be happened. Maybe it still works. I don't know. I am very skeptical that this isn't politically motivated, if, if only because I'm, you know, obviously very jaded on politics. <laughs> well, <laughs> obviously it's politically motivated. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, right. Like, that's a big theme of our show is that all this is just, you know, all these are just mafias vying for power right now. It's like, of course it's politically motivated. They're trying to eliminate the guy that was kind of standing in the way of what they were doing, and he was kind of, you know, blocking them off of, you know, whatever their plans are. Like, 
obviously is like it, it doesn't take like like a rocket scientist to figure this out right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, i'm only trying to give them the best possible interpretation steel man their position that they're just like okay. well we got to enforce the law and this was an attempt to overthrow the government I, I, okay so a couple analysis components of that yes kyle's right we should be absolutely skeptical about whether or not prosecution of any former you know or existing political power Challenging the existing people in power shouldn't be with an extra dose of skepticism. That's why it should be a very high standard for this situation. Second, know how much faster the government is to protect itself than it was to protect all the private property owners who had their houses and their livelihoods burned down in 2020. Right, A thousand people, most of whom were actually peaceful, while there were probably thousands of people who were violent, who never got prosecuted after the riots in 2020. I mean, the government is much faster to protect its own rights than to your rights. What does that say about the government? Well, and not just not prosecute people, but even people who did get prosecuted or, or charged with crimes were actively let go after mm. those riots, right? Or, yeah. Specific democratic party leaders fundraised to get them out of for bail. Precisely. Now, I don't know how many have still wound up in, with charges or whatever. Sure. But, but the sentiment and the intent behind that is very starkly contrasted on, on either side. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and it's also the timing to me is also suspicious as it always is. I'm always the guy to bring up the, it's probably a distraction from something narrative, right? <laughs> Which who knows? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but the timing across from everything that's going on with the Biden corruption scandal mm-hmm. that is unfolding more and more by the day, it is. It seems like an opportunity to pull some attention away, take some headline space away, dedicate it to how bad of a guy Trump is, and and just maybe let some of the stuff that we're seeing unfold, even this week with Devin Archer, kind of go through the news cycle and maybe get a little bit less attention from from perhaps the Democratic base, distract them with something with red meat, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yes, like they're going to get him on this third one for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and and not look more critically at what's going on with with the, the sitting president. Yeah, I think they they need the left needs this to be a thing because they made so much noise about January six and how bad it was for so long um, that they they spent a tremendous amount of political capital making this the defining characteristic of the Trump presidency. I I think if they didn't have this, it would be kind of like a. They don't ever get that stamp of and it ended and it, and there was a thing that happened that's condemning of Trump. Otherwise, it's just kind of left in in the space of the last word is Trump's tweets about it, which is be peaceful, respect the police officers, that sort of thing. So this is almost so, the final step of validating yeah, all of the attention, the narrative that they put into it so that far. was paid. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think that's why they need it so much um, from a strategic point of view. Now, mm. I will tell you that. A lot of people in D.C. who deal in elections, this is how they think. They think in terms of how do we get the next media hit. Right. Right. So distraction, I think it's just a political campaign tactic is one analysis lens analysis lens that I know Kyle would support sure well i i'm while you're talking right now i'm trying to find that old uh, chuck schumer clip of when he was on rachel maddow uh when trump initially got elected back in 2016 and uh, uh i'll see if i can oh liam posted it uh, i'll see ago. oh did liam this I'll is a good bridge Twitter. point uh this this also another major thing that happened this week was joe rogan and jim gaffigan is that yeah, his name? That's yeah, his name. Yeah, I started talking about January 6th. Now, I like uh, the comedian he had on. Like, he's a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, is he an NPC. Like, if you want a good <laughs> yeah, definition, 
of like, I only know one thing and it's like the most basic, straightforward Trump is bad, no lens on events, no historical integration between things. Not even articulate viewpoints is, was right. my real takeaway from that. Right. I, I remember I was, I was working and listening to that in my head and I was just like, I like Jim Gaffigan. I've seen him live. Like I've met mm. him. He, I have a signed poster. Like I'm a fan of his. Mm. I, I lost respect, not because uh, of, of his position. He can hold whatever opinions he wants, but because he held a position with so little backing it whatsoever and so little ability to actually articulate why or even what he thought mm-hmm. about events that had occurred. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, so, and so the relevant one from what Kyle's bridging to is that the accusation, and there has been a trickle of information about this, of various different denials about this, of the involvement, potential involvement of agent provocateurs by the government in the January 6th riots. So there's both video evidence that it looks very interesting of, for example, a guy breaking a window, being told not to do that, shoving another guy, and he's all masked up and is all and then blaming that other guy when it's so obviously it was him. Um, and the questions about that, like what was that? Now that doesn't necessarily, it's not a smoking gun. It's just saying, hey, this guy might've been one. It's a very suspicious activity. <laughs> and we should be open to this because the left has been making noise about agent provocateurs within BLM. We covered on this uh, age of provocateurs and FBI practices to entrap people uh, using, you know, literally encouraging people to do violence uh, and then entrapping people. Uh, the uh, Governor Whitmere case, uh, we talked about that some months ago. Uh, so, like, there's a whole bunch of examples where the FBI kind of gets into this space. Um, and I and then additionally that we have congressional testimony where I think it was Rand Paul asked, hey, was, or no, it was Thomas Massey, maybe, mm-hmm. asked if there was any presence by Capitol, by D.C. police was one question. The other one is F, uh, it was the Federal Bureau of Investigations at the Capitol on January 6th, and they could not answer yay or nay. They could not say unequivocally, no, they were not That's involved. what I remember. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. I've just pulled up the uh, Chuck Schumer clip that I was alluding to right here, so let's uh, take a look at it. This is um, the latest statement, latest tweet, as you were just saying, President-elect's latest latest unsolicited pronouncement on the intelligence community. This was his tweet just a little while ago tonight. You see the scare quotes there. The intelligence briefing on so-called Russian hacking was delayed until Friday. Perhaps more time needed to build a case. Very strange. We're actually told, intelligence sources tell NBC News since this tweet has been posted, that actually this intelligence briefing for the president-elect was always planned for Friday. It hasn't been delayed. But he's, he's taking these shots, this antagonism, yep. this taunting to the intelligence tell community. You, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. What do you think the intelligence community would do if they were motivated I don't know, to? but I, from what I am told, 
they are very upset with how he has treated them and talked about them. And we need the intelligence community. We don't know what's going on. Look at the Russian hacking. Without the intelligence community, we wouldn't have uh, discovered it. Do you we, think he has an agenda to try to dismantle parts of the intelligence community? I mean, this form of let me tell taunting you, hostility. Whether you're a super liberal Democrat or a very conservative Republican, you should be against dismantling the intelligence community. What are they going? What are they going to do to us? What, what is the intelligence community supposedly serving the American Constitution going to do to us, guys? If you criticize them, what are they? What are they going to do to us, Chuck? What, what, yeah, what are, what are the six ways from Sunday you're talking about? I'm a little... It almost seems as though that the president wasn't in charge of the executive branch. That would be a problem. That means we're Ooh. being run by something else, right? I mean, yes. you know, like, aren't, isn't that what he's implying? Well, it's, it's one of those things where every now and then you just see these like moments of honesty from people and they just kind of like let you peek behind what's, you know, what's behind there. But, you know, they just all know this. It's like, yes, we're not supposed to go against the intelligence community. Right. We just we we just go along with it. That's just exactly how they operate. Like it, I'm reminded, too, of uh, remember, it was the same thing when um, Tucker Carlson was still working at Fox News. Remember, he he found out that the NSA was uh, spying on him because he was trying to get a an interview with Putin mm -hmm. and they were tapping his phones. And he got he got uh, alerted from a whistleblower within the NSA that told him that this was happening. Mm. <laughs> right. You know, like this is what happens when you go against this. If you're kind of pushing too many buttons, if you're if you're going against the flow of what these this apparatus, this of this bureaucracy uh, wants where they want to go. So what that points to is that the intelligence community may have had a motive. Right. We got means, motive and opportunity. Uh, may have had a motive. We don't have any material evidence yet, so we don't have opportunity per se, uh, but we do have a very clear motive. And we do have a little bit of evidence, circumstantial evidence, in that when asked, the right people in congressional hearing who are sworn under oath under legal penalty basically said, ah, we don't know, can't, can't say about whether or not they were there. If they can't say, no, we were not there, given the amount of trust that this institution has garnered... <laughs> recently amongst the intelligence community as it's lied to us on the Twitter files, mm -hmm. lied to us on NSA spying, lied mm -hmm. to us on weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, lied to us on MK Ultra and everything else going on. That's pretty much saying, yeah, we were there, right? Am I, am I being, well, am I leaping to a conclusion? Also, also remember everything with Ray Epps. <laughs> yeah, all right. And there's a lot of speculation on him being, you know, on, on him conducting and pushing people to go uh, into classic. the Capitol. That was, that right. became another part of this is, is, uh, the Ray Epps video also re-went viral in response to Joe Rogan referencing it in the, uh, Jim Gaffigan mm -hmm. interview. And Reyes pretty much came out and said, oh, this is just more election denial, GN6 Trumperism. I mean, he basically talked in CNN speak and got requoted everywhere all over the media in response to Joe Rogan basically saying, hey, this dude said to go into the Capitol and was never prosecuted, yet thousands of other people were. Why? Great question. No, Great and, question. And there's like, and the, there's like crazy videos of him getting up on like boxes and being like, everybody to the Capitol. Like he was one of the main drivers in the crowd right. for pushing people to it. And like, especially when, when you saw the people like at the fence kind of going crazy at the fence, like he mm -hmm. was one of the provocateurs in there. And for some reason, the media just gave him a pass. Like everybody else, it's like, these are evil people. They stormed the Capitol. For some reason, this guy who was a clear provocateur, he's just fine. Gets yeah. a 60 minutes interview. How does it feel that Trump was attacking you? He's just like, it, it hurt real bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what's so crazy about it is like, you can't, I, I can't understand why Ray S is being treated so differently as, as you're pointing out. And I can't understand how they could be so naive of otherwise progressive people 
about the idea of agent provocateurs. I mean, yeah, this isn't a new concept. I mean, right. I think it's probably been marginalized by, you know, associating it with various conspiracy theories, theories, but leftists know of this from uh, like the WTO riots mm-hmm. in Seattle, which was also referenced in that episode. I mean, the, this is a real thing that we know exists. Right. And, and I think that it's really, it's, unfortunately probably just very a very partisan phenomenon that people are just unwilling to examine certain things because it uh, it supports a narrative that is not their own it supports a side that they view as the other and it's not something that they want to entertain because they've created a, a potentially a very strong a strongly held belief in them that that this is what happened that these people are bad and that our country was at risk and i mean that that can be a really powerful thing to un to undo when that's everything that you've been told by media sources that you trust for three plus years. Mm. Uh, also, know? I'm going to tie in two more things and how these all connect to the Twitter files too, is I remember on the day this happened, I was glued to Twitter when all this was going down. Um, there were tons of videos circulating around just because people were live tweeting everything that was happening of like black vans showing up to the Capitol and people jumping out in black vans and masks and stuff like that going in. And those all got scrubbed from the internet. And then also, this is also when Trump got banned from Twitter (laughs) was, Mm -hmm. was this was the day after this. I'm pretty sure it was January 7th when he got banned from Twitter. And we now also know the FBI was, was (laughs) involved with the Twitter files it's like all these things are connected. If you think that there's like one off things, mm. like they're all tie in together right here. So, well, and that's where people go. Oh, that's that, that that's conspiracy theory. Well, well, I mean, yes, it is by definition a conspiracy when multiple people work together to a- accomplish an end, right? In secret. In secret, right. right. And but these secrets are coming out, so we have to be willing to be open minded to the facts that that are changing and and changing our opinions with them. Right. It's it's so insane to watch the the left move into the war party, move into the intelligence state defender party. Right? It's so bizarre to me. Right? And the censorship I'm party too. Still, lo- yeah, I'm still locked into this view that where I came into politics in the early 2000s, in which the right was terrible on civil liberties and war, and the and the left was better about that, and the left was bad on eco- economics, and the right was good on that. And now we have this weird place where I mean, obviously, it makes it a little bit easier to be vote Republican at times where you have the Republicans talking about civil liberties, privacy and intelligence agency reform and being better on foreign policy all of a sudden. Like, how is that happening? Why is that happening right in this moment? Tribalism. Like it's like this crazy moment of the left just losing what made them like an actual compelling party for a large number of people. Well, I mean, the FBI, the intelligence community, all the banks, all, all the entities that the left used to rail against, they all started supporting all the shibboleths that the left promotes, right? It's diversity, equality, inclusion, all of these things started getting promoted. You know, just just so happens, like right after uh, Occupy Wall Street happened, all of a sudden the banks are like, we support gay marriage. And then the left's like, yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then they forgot about the banks, right? And it's the same thing with all these uh um, the intelligence agencies and the military, like we're seeing all this stuff be very pervasive. It's spreading like a little mind virus throughout the uh, entities and everybody is going to jump in and support it because it's their virtue, their virtue signaling yeah. that comes to it. Right? It's an interesting question, right? Because why did the why did these major institutions and government actors suddenly become so reinforcing of the more woke culture left, left woke culture right after the Occupy Wall Street movement kind of fell apart and started to end. 
Right, because there isn't it isn't the story you're telling exactly, right? It wasn't like they came out and said, "Hey, by the way, we're four gay marriages." Like, oh, I guess we'll just take down our camp now. It's more <laughs> like it kind of trickled out, and then they kind of trickled in, and this weird change happened where all of a sudden, people like Jimmy Dore, who are all very concerned about the accumulation of capital and are very skeptical of capitalism and think you know unions are the best thing since sliced bread, are all of a sudden now being like, "Hey, guys, don't we don't like big banks even if they have a gay pride flag? Like, isn't they, aren't these the bad guys?" It's a strange because he's like he's kind of like a picture of the past, mm-hmm. right? While we're in it now, where it just isn't given much much credence anymore. That well, I I think one of the big things too is Obama's reelection was Obama ran in the first time about ending all the wars, stopping you know right. Guantanamo, all, all this stuff, right? Stopping torture. He didn't do any of that. Like he didn't fulfill mm-hmm. any of his campaign promises. And but next time around, he couldn't run on, hey, I did all the things you, you I, I told you I was going to do. It was just like now I'm the first president to come out supporting gay marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same type of thing. It's just like, well, we failed drastically on all these other things that we said we were going to do. The banks are crumbling. Biggest financial crisis is still kind of hurting everybody. Um, we're in more wars than ever <laughs> mm-hmm. drone bombing civilians. Yeah. I got a kill list. Oops. You know, mm-hmm. like all this stuff happens, but I support gay marriage and everybody's like, yeah, cheer. Mm. Yeah. You go, man. <laughs> like, right. So it's right, like, man. it's like supplanting for issues that people that really important issues that people should care about a lot, supplanting culture war stuff for that, trying to just say hey this is actually a good thing that i'm doing to ignore the other stuff that i failed on but like take this and then it was it's a it's a cascading effect it's like oh now we got it that worked we could do with another one and that sort of i think maybe produced some of the chain of events that we've seen with you know with esg going forward with with all these social issues becoming like the core issues that people are really deciding uh, you know who they support based upon well and the the esg thing is a very important thing because that completely captures intellectually like all of corporate America, especially because the primary people that are pushing it through are Vanguard, BlackRock, State um, uh, uh, State Street. State Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, between them, they own, they, they have top shares in like 80% of all public companies <laughs> in right. the country, right? Yeah. So like they're able to push this through and it's, it's all a control mechanism. Like it's a means of control. It's not necessarily about money, like really. It's it's much more about control. Like control and power is more important than money. Money is just like a vehicle to power. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's 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 the exact same type of thing right here. Is where you have it, and you kind of start to infiltrate all of these avenues, and you can control who gets where. You can you can uh, kind of yeah, you just control everything mm-hmm. with it. Um, and and then you can you kind of control who becomes the next president. You kind of control like, you you control what's going on in all these other countries. Like it's it's a very powerful position to be in to be the money managers that are saying exactly you have to fill these quotas, right? Because then everybody's leaping to um, to buy for that. Totally. Well, and it's also if we want to pivot to the uh, the Devin Archer piece, it's also a powerful position to be in when you can tell your clients that you can get them on the phone with your dad, who's the vice president, which is what we learned was happening now with even more confirmation of those, those facts uh, from Hunter Biden's former business associate, Devin Archer, who was in front of Congress in, in a closed door meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Just, you know, giving them his testimony despite uh, an attempt at having him jailed what like days or the day before he was supposed to give this testimony, the DOJ asked the court 
to advance some charge against him ostensibly to try to prevent him from testifying in front of Congress. Mm -hmm. They failed. The judge did not grant that. And so he did get to give his testimony to Congress and he did sit down with Tucker Carlson and give what seems to be the first part of perhaps a longer interview talking about some of these things. And uh, let's go ahead and watch this clip here. To be, you know, completely clear on the calls. I don't know if it was an orchestrated call in or not. It certainly was powerful though, because you know, if you're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the vice president's voice, that's prize enough. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty impactful stuff for anyone. It's, a, it's uh, been reported. And I, I know that it is true that the Hunter and his brother were very close to their dad. Absolutely. Um, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of kids. I'm very close to them. Talk to them every day. Yeah. Never called them on speaker during a business meeting. That's weird. You've got a lot of kids. You're close to them. Do you call them on a speaker during business meetings? Um, do I call? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is that? A yeah. grown man calling his dad on a speakerphone during a business right. meeting? Right. To be clear, sometimes it was the call was coming in, and the speaker would go on. So it was. It's just the presence. You have to be. I mean, you're you you understand DC, right? So the power to have that access in that conversation and it's not in a scheduled conference call and it's a part of your family that's that's like the pinnacle of uh of power in dc 100 percent. i guess i'm pivoting against the lie that i'm hearing people tell with a straight face congressman goldman for example that we don't really know what was going on really you're taking a call from the vice president and you put it on speaker it's not just hey dad i'm in a meeting with some buddies Right. It's let me let me put my dad, the vice president, on speaker. Yeah. Yep. In the, in the rear view, it's uh, it's a it's an abuse of soft power. I'd say an abuse of soft power. Well, geez, what soft power, guys? What Sounds would it like mean a... to abuse that soft power? Yeah. So this is this is what they call influence peddling, right? Um, and this, like they say, is very common in D.C. It's a phenomena of the decision makers are insulated by staff and process and all these things. And if you want to get something really done, you need to know somebody who knows something. And that was what was interesting about the the actual transcript of the uh, Republican House Oversight Committee's hearing, which it pretty much reveals that he basically had no actual value to the company that he has with Archer other than that he's the guy who knows the guy. Because the company that they had established, according to this interview, was sort of a company, uh, a consulting company to provide services. Uh, how did he put it? That, that they had, uh, you know, regulatory insight <clears throat> or something of that nature, right? <laughs> Providing insight into navigating the regulatory environment. Basically right. just saying, we got a guy on the inside and yeah. we can call him when we need to. Well, or at least that you know the guy who knows the guy, right? So sure. you know the guy who runs the lobby firm that has the guy who used to work in this particular obscure agency who can call up the right person out of that agency to get something done. Um, that is not just common. It is the entire bread and butter of politics. Right. That's true if you're in the state legislature in Montana. It's true if you're in Iowa. It's true everywhere. I've never met a political person who hasn't been a member, a person in the chain of this sort of phenomenon. Now, the question is, once you get into foreign policy, right, it's another thing just to say, hey, in domestic policy, we have this approval for this patent. I know a guy at the patent office. I'm going to give him a call and he, he can give me some information about where it's at in the process. Um, it's a different thing when you say he's going to prioritize it beyond what's legally statutorily allowed to do, 
right? Those are controls on bureaucrats that supposedly exist in some situations in order to prevent abuse, but not all. A lot of them have a lot of authority to make these sort of prioritization decisions. But when it comes to foreign policy and the actions of a foreign actor, such as Ukraine, Russia, an energy company in Ukraine called Burisma, what is the bounds of reasonable influence? You have this president's son who sits on the board of the bank. We're not talking about his private equity advisement form. This is a different gig that both of them had as members of this um, <laughs> board of advisors for a energy company called Burisma. And when you say both of them, you mean Hunter Biden and, and Archer and Devin Archer and Devin Archer. We're both on this board. Um, and uh, keep in mind, none of them know anything about energy. They're both just people who know people in DC. Right. And so the question is, is why would they hire those two? Why would they put those guys on the board? Why would they pay them $85,000 a month to do this work? Uh, and then why was this all necessary? And how does this relate to why it would be such so compelling for Republicans to get this information out about this whole thing? Well, what is soft power? Influence peddling means when I say, hey, we need to fire this guy. We need to go after this guy. We got to cite this. Thing. I got somebody to call at the State Department who can maybe do something about that. Right. And that guy happens to be the president's the vice president. That's the question. And if that's the services that he was offering, is that is that illegal? Should it be legal if it's not? Great that's question. question. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> so influence peddling, if what we mean is the president isn't saying or the vice president at the time isn't saying, hey, uh, I'm not, uh, you should go after this prosecutor who's looking into uh, Burisma. If he says you should fire this guy because my son's belongs to the board, that would obviously be illegal. But if he says, hey, you should do this and then I'll do this. And they say, hey, we don't have any reason to do that. And he says, well, uh, you're not going to get the, the funds then. Is that illegal? I, I guess I don't really know. I, I, I think the I'm not, I'm not sure what I think the legality legal. here has something to do with um, it, it's kind of like a question of whether or not you're a foreign agent because you're getting like money directly from a foreign entity. Like like I think that there's something in there that could be like it's potentially a treason charge on the legality side of here. Yeah, that wouldn't right. be influence peddling per se. That it would wouldn't be, be influence else. peddling. Yeah, it'd be but something it's, way beyond it's, that. it's something beyond influence peddling. Like right. there's influence peddling, and then there's like the direct payment and working for another country kind of a thing. Right, like right. That, so that, that becomes a thing. So the the leftists have said, hey, everyone wanted that prosecutor god uh, Shokin. They wanted this. Okay, should I retell the story just to make yes. it clear to listeners? Yes. Okay. Let's let's lay it out from the top. Right. Ukraine from circa 2014. So there's a lot of Slavic right? names here, so I might get something wrong. So correct me if I get my Slavic name wrong, please. <laughs> I will try to check you. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me try to tell the story right. 2014. There's this thing called the Maidan Revolution, where there was a Russian government that was supportive, and then they got kicked out. Um, various NGOs were involved. Soros identified NGOs and potentially intelligence community assist like allied NGOs. They go in and basically have this color revolution in, in Ukraine. What's a color revolution? Well, <laughs> D never mind. Keep going. <laughs> color revolutions are like, it's a common thing where they pick a color to represent their new, the revolution. Oh, uh, and there's like a trend of them that a lot of people who are skeptical of the intelligence communities have said, 
hey, for some reason, all these ones that have the fingerprints of the intelligence community on them all seem to pick a color, and that's kind of strange. Hmm. So, yeah. And, and but, it's, it's supposed to represent a wave of democracy sweeping through. Mm, yes. Every to, single okay. time. It just so happens to be a pro-democratic one. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah. Okay, well, the, so, the, there's a very specific, like, it comes from, I actually just double, like, double check. There's there's some political scientists that named that specifically. Yes. Like, it is supposed to be a wave of democracy. Okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so made on revolution. Go. Yeah. Uh, new guy comes in he's pro eu with that switch barisma was before that time kind of associated with the more pro russian party and around that same period of time they hire a guy or two guys maybe uh maybe more uh to realign them to the new reality which is that ukraine is now going to be pro eu pro nato and one of those guys happens to be hunter biden okay so so, he kind of helps realign barisma within the with it for the state department like this is the theory and that the state department then has a closer relationship with Burisma. Sometime later, this night guy Shokin under the um, existing uh, president at that time, Proshinkov, Proshinkov, Poroshenko, Poroshenko. There we go. God, Poroshenko, who then says, he started this, 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 this attorney general uh, functionally starts investigating Burisma for corruption and, Poroshenko gets a call from Biden. There is a, a released audio tape where Biden's basically saying, hey, we got connection. What's going on with the AG guy? And he's like, hey, we don't have anything on the guy, but we're vaxxed him to resign. Like he doesn't have any corruption charges. There's no reason for him to resign that we can cite. And then we also have on the other side of it, Biden talking at a press dinner. I don't know what event it is, but he's at an event and Never. he's saying, yeah, this is how awesome I am. This is going to Ukraine, right? This is a hot mic situation. He does not know he's being recorded. Oh, I think he is. I think he does. How does he not? Uh, It doesn't. It sounds like he's trying to be cool. Well, maybe. I just don't think he realized what he was doing. Right. I mean, like, because he's like the way he tells the story, just like there I was rolling up with my aviators on. (laughs) And I go and I'm like, I kick down the door. I'm like, hey, you're going to fire this prosecutor or you ain't getting no money. They're like, oh, you can't do that. He's like, get the president on the line. He's like, call the president. Go ahead. Do it right now. We'll see what he says. sunglasses back on and god damn it they fired that prosecutor that prosecutor <laughs> was shoken all right so one american news got an interview with the guy and they talk about it and say hey you got to get the transcripts of the biden prashokin interview and they and some of that was released it does seem edited so obviously take it with a grain of salt and one american news is not the worst organ news organization ever for God's sakes, the New York Times will light us into a war that killed a million people. So like, I got to keep it all with a grain of salt. <laughs> but it's it's definitely, you know, like, just be careful when consuming anything that any news agency puts out. But the interesting component of that is this fact that you have Shokin, who still exists, get interviewed by only one news network, which is a very well, relatively obscure one. And the things he says is quite revelatory um, about, you know, he was never like accused of anything he had to resign and why he had to resign like all these things that bear up they simply don't make a lot of sense so the question was 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 those actions by the state department on behalf of his son who was on the board of an energy company who was being investigated by this guy did that did the did biden do that for his son and the response was like no everyone knew that guy had to go 
Right, not everyone. Not that you know. Like we that, had to go. That is so weak. But not for any like criminal reason. They can't. I haven't seen one sordid reason why Sokin had to go. So the question is: is what was Biden's motivation? Now we have material evidence, two sources, both himself and uh, Shokin in this in this uh, released audio. And then we have um, so we have means, right? We have motive. And we have material evidence that he was doing this. We just don't have the smoking gun of him saying to somebody, I did this in order to help out Hunter. So we got a lot of evidence and it's all over the finger. The fingerprints are all over this thing so that he was heavily involved. 20 calls with, on, uh, with various different members of various different foreign, foreign regimes and business and stuff like that with him on the phone just so happens to be on the phone. That's what Tucker Carlson's talking about, where he's just calling up daddy to put him into the middle of this business mm-hmm. meeting. Why would he do that? Well, because the entire operation was built around his ability to leverage the State Department like he did in Ukraine on behalf of this business because Hunter was on the board. It's, that's the coin. That, and that's obvious. That's got to be illegal. If it's not illegal, that is the biggest scandal <laughs> that I could imagine. If it isn't illegal to use State Department resources, taxpayer resources, uh, to, to benefit your, your son on a board of an energy company one is being investigated. This is a small detail, but probably worth noting, though, too, is like this is when Biden was vice president and he was kind of considered like the lead in Ukraine for yes. the Obama administration. It wasn't just like, you know, like he was considered like the head honcho when it when it came to Ukraine policy within the executive branch at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, worth noting, too. Like yeah. he wasn't just some official. At the time. And also right. worth noting, Trump administration also got similar accusations of influence peddling by uh, Trump's children, right? Mm-hmm. Don Jr. and Ivanka both got favorable treatments by foreign governments afterwards. Uh, Ivanka, there's a Guardian story about like a copyright request, like getting approved quicker than otherwise would, you know, stuff like that. So this is, it's very possible that this could be a real thing, right? I, uh, that, that is bipartisan. I don't care. I think it's evil mm-hmm. <laughs> to use taxpayer dollars to benefit your son. I'm sorry. I just think that's wrong. Well, and if it ever comes out, if there's ever the smoking gun of the 10% for the big guy quote that has been floating around forever Mm. is real. If Biden ever actually got paid for any of the stuff that he's doing directly or indirectly, that's super, super illegal. Right. And like that, I think is why a lot of the establishment media and Democrats are, are really, really nervous about this whole thing going on right now because the 10% for the big guy thing is out there. There's, already circumstantial well, I mean, evidence that he did get paid for stuff. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's where it starts to go into like the treason territory, like as, right. as like an actual legal because you're, right? you're taking money from a foreign entity, especially if it's China and I know there are claims around their dealings in China with various different entities that raises questions of whether or not our commander in chief is capable of being blackmailed by a foreign government because the foreign government could easily say, Hey, if you don't do what we want, we're going to come out and we're going to reveal the fact that we paid you for this. What's even more fascinating, too, with this is this is exactly what they tried to accuse Trump of being with Russia. Right. Like this was the whole thing is that he is a foreign agent of Russia. And so far, nothing's really come out like with that is it doesn't seem to be the case that he was a foreign agent for Russia. But it seems very much to be the case that like Biden was legitimately like a foreign agent in a sense uh, for Ukraine. I mean, pretty handy (laughs) tactic, if not not China, like there's some China allegations in there too. just blame um, your, your political adversary for the things that you yourself have done. And you know, that's in rules for radicals, right? It's an actual tactic. Exactly. So like that, that process of saying, I know this is a vulnerability for me. So I'm going to accuse it of you first is a real is huge problem. Now I don't necessarily know that that was, but I imagine anytime you're dealing in large foreign policy questions, like the president is, you're going to going to get into this 
that you're going to get these kind of accusations thrown at you at this juncture, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's so hyperpartisan. There's just, if, especially if you're outside the foreign policy consensus where everyone's making a buck off of the existing status quo. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to unf*** the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. Well, right, and especially in Ukraine, which is a country that is just so incredibly corrupt and has been known to be such for so long, mm. right? I mean, like, there's just the fact that that people think that that this country is this pure democracy and all that. I mean, it, it does kind of lead us into this this third piece about the journalist who was detained there. It, it's just it's just nonsensical to think that you know the narratives that we're being told about how good Ukraine is. Uh, are true like it's very obvious that like these things this influence peddling takes place here and if it takes place here it takes place there for sure and probably an order of magnitude greater potentially and that's what this this guy uh gonzalo lira basically says is that the ukrainian regime has not just recently but has always been this veneer of liberal democracy over a corrupt eastern european gangster state that there's this fundamental core that everything abides by the rules of power, principle of power. And we've only surface level for the sake of the NGOs and for the sake of the support by the liberal elite, been able to create this veneer over it that says that, oh, they, they respect the rule of law and they are pro free speech and pro freedom of religion and all these things that Westerners value. Well, he, his story is a testament to why that is, pardon my French, bullshit. <laughs> Sorry, mom. So <laughs> let's go into guns. So one of the reasons why we talked about doing this is because it is like a human interest story that I think anchors what's really going on in Ukraine more clearly for the average listener. And one of the things is we get a qualitative view, right? A, or a quantitative view. We get this many bombs and dollars and all that kind of stuff. And this territory taken and it's all abstracted rather than the actual human cost of war. And what that means for civil liberties and what that means for the everyday person trying to articulate what they see as true. And that's this guy's story. So uh, first up, he's he's an American citizen born in California. He has dual citizenship with Chile, but he resides in Ukraine. He reported for Business Daily News uh, and uh, Zero Hedge, right? So he released uh, this tweet thread um, that Kyle has up that basically lays out his history, what's been going on with him over the last few months since he kind of went dark um, in his reporting. Should we go ahead and read it? Uh, It's pretty long, but I can summarize it. Um, Basically, uh, and then he also released a video, which we'll put in the links and you can watch the whole video because it is compelling to watch this guy literally sit along the 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 uh the border like not far from the border on his motorcycle wearing his motorcycle gear basically saying i'm about to go for asylum in hungary because the Lazinski regime wants to kill me, right? wants to put me in prison where I will die. Uh, so he's, he, he's basically being charged with being a uh, Russian uh, propagandist. And he, that faces five to eight years in a, in a Ukrainian prison work camp. Let me say that again. And if this triggers anything strange for you, 
don't worry. That just means you're sane. <laughs> Five to eight years for criticizing the government at a work camp. In a country that is supposedly a liberal democracy, you know, a European style democracy, whatever they call it, right? Yeah. Supposedly. And we're over there, mind you, supporting them, giving them billions of dollars, defending democracy in a country where Zelensky, because he doesn't like what he's saying in some YouTube videos, can put a guy in prison for five to eight years. Right. So this is actually the second time he's been accused of this. He was actually accused of being an actual agent of the Russian regime. That was disproven, or at least no evidence could come out, so they couldn't actually do anything with it. He was given like his passports and all that kind of stuff, and then basically said, you know, you're free to go. And apparently later on, he regrets not just leaving at that point because they then came back for him, uh, confiscated all this stuff. He was told he could post bail, called loved ones, called lawyer. He was never given those rights. Uh, he was tortured in prison, is what he claims. Um, beaten by other prisoners, interestingly. Paid off by guards. Right. So the important thing there is that you can't maintain the facade of a liberal democracy if you <laughs> if you torture your people. Right. But everyone knows weird things happen in prison. So all you got to do is to get around this facade of liberal democracy is pay off the prison guards. And he said one of the guys actually apologized as he was beating them. Because he knew, well, like this is I have to because yeah. like, how can a prisoner tell a guard? No, I'm not going to torture another prisoner. Right. Otherwise, they're going to be the subject of the torture. They're not going to get food. They're yeah. not going to get to go to the bathroom when they want to all that kind of stuff. So um, he then claims that the the, the the American in Chilean government did put pressure on the Ukrainian government to eventually let him post bail. Uh, he posted bail. They took his passports. He took all this stuff. He took his computer, his laptop, all that kind of stuff. And they confiscated nine thousand dollars in cash. Um he then got released and got a bunch of that stuff all back. All coincidentally, all the stuff that he would need in order to stay, escape the country. He didn't have to put on the ankle bracelet, although he was told he should have. Uh, he got his license for his motorcycle, his insurance for his motorcycle, his um, passports, all that kind of stuff were all returned to him. And then said, now you've got a court date that's going to come up later on. Now, while in prison, he has this conversation with his last time he was imprisoned. And they basically said, hey, they did that. This other prisoner tells him, hey, they did that. In order for you to just leave, so you're not, not going to be a headache anymore. Yeah, when, when he said, when the government tells you not don't leave the country, they're telling you, leave the fucking country. Yeah. Just get out of here. We don't want you around. Yeah. And especially when they give you your passport. <laughs> right. They didn't want you to leave. They wouldn't give you the passport. Right. So he was like, ooh. And so then he's basically posts this thing that says, hey, I'm going to try to get out of the country. Uh, and, uh, if you don't hear from me from in, in 11 hours, you know, I'm probably in a work camp and it's been five days and he has yet to post again. So he was probably caught at the border. He was probably being sent to a work. camp. now let me make this point clear. This guy is basically holds the same views that I do on Ukraine. Right. I mean, maybe a little more, he's a little more brash than I am. He, I've watched some of his videos. I, I didn't really follow him before finding out about him. But he holds completely reasonable, <laughs> completely like I'm engaged seriously with the topic. I'm looking at these actors, not as a religious cult, but as a, you know, sane human being trying to suss out the truth. And I'm articulating the world as I see it. Please correct me where I'm wrong. That is the tone of what he's doing. Elon Musk even posted on his Twitter thread, troubling posts. Very interesting. I didn't and notice that. Specifically underneath the part of the thread where he says, if you don't hear from me in the next 12 hours, well, I'm on my way to a labor camp. Wish me luck. <laughs> Think about that for a minute, that this is the paragon of democracy that we have to support in order not to have a more authoritarian world. 
that's the case that the, that's the myth that they're telling the American public in order to sell this thing to you. It's the weapons of mass destruction all over again. And yet a substantial amount of people, this time just the other faction of the American public, is being fooled into believing that this is a necessary thing. It's a real tragedy. It really is. Um, and, and to be fair, we 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 did pull up a headline that does that did say he, he has yet to it was an article turn from, up. It was an article from yeah two days ago that I saw it was the last thing I saw on it, and it said that he's still missing. So he's still missing. So we don't know that he's in a labor camp. Just to just to be very clear about what we do and don't know, we don't know that. I, I, w- I would generally assume a guy like this would be tweeting though. <laughs> you know, you still. would think, and but but also to that point, I it does make me wonder if he had just very discreetly slipped out of the country without broadcasting this and making it a publicity stunt. Mm. If he could have not made it through, but because this probably was high profile enough for Elon to chime in, probably made its way back to the powers that be within the U.S. government or Ukraine calling attention to the fact that he is literally calling them out and and blowing the whistle effectively about their atrocious behavior which i do support him doing but it may have also put him in danger mm-hmm. i mean I, I mean leaving leaving also might have been a trap true right or they say give he, those things to him and he actually mentions it mm-hmm. and then they're going to pick him up at the board and now, and now he's trying to escape now he is in certain five to eight years he's going to serve 10 to 12 right right for a, for a valid reason yeah right versus right. one that was just trumped up yeah yeah but either way, I mean, any way you slice it, if if true, it just completely demolishes any semblance of the myth, as you say, that this is a liberal democracy that we're over here defending. It's just, it's that veneer with the rotten core of, of corrupt gangster regime underneath. Well, it's important to note why they have to have a myth, right? Why is it necessary to do that this way? Why can't they just come out and say, we need to degrade the powers of the Ukrainian or the Russian military? Well, they, why they wouldn't do. that work? They do say that. No, they don't. They only do that when, I mean, they don't do that as the main thrust, right? Tim Scott came out and tried to say that and got smashed, right? <laughs> yeah. Why did they need to make it a battle? Why did, why did once uh, Woodrow Wilson need to say that the German Kaiser was killing babies, right? And, and was, out to destroy democracy all over the world if he wasn't stopped i think why did they have to ha- why did they constantly well, have to have this and, and then he goes on and talks about how we need to make the world safe for democracy like yes. like this is the whole thing is that this is this magic word that people use to kind of cast a spell on you and you ha- you need the mythology in order to get the populace on board with something right right because in a normal environment in a normal world I have just as much in common with a Ukrainian citizen as I do with a Russian citizen, as I do with an Iranian or an Israeli citizen or, or a Chinese citizen or anybody else. And you, so they need the reason for people to get pissed off about something. They need the mythology in order to rile people up to support it because ultimately they know they can't just do these things without at least the implicit support of of the people whose tax dollars are spending, Mm -hmm. you know, if they do go too far, they do know that people can mount enough resistance to stop them from doing stuff like this. Well, I I believe, I believe it was Plato that coined this term. Maybe it was someone before him, but long time ago, uh, the concept of the noble lie and what the whole concept of the noble lie was, is like the general proletariat, the general proles of civilization. If they actually knew the truth, 
um, they wouldn't get on board with something or they would bastardize it or they wouldn't understand. They don't understand that the like us, the high privileged people, we understand what's kind of best for uh, you know, our people or the world or whatever it is, whatever their goal is, we, we understand it. So we have to put forward these lies in order to be able to get the things done that need to be done. Um, it's a very like amoral way of viewing the world is like, we know what has to, what has to happen. They don't understand it. So we have to put forward some sort of mythos um, in order for them to get on board, whether or not it's true, or maybe right. it's half true, or it's- maybe it's, you know, Right. Sort of an, an ends justify the means argument. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So you need to have a myth that rallies people to you. Now, in, in the Marxist literature, it's called a Cyrillian myth. Right. Marcus Sorel basically said, we know that the um, that Marxism, communism isn't scientific. We know that the history is wrong. We know that the future predictions are actually all wrong, that the proletariat is not going to go up and overthrow everything. But we need it in order to keep the Russian state alive. So we're going to continue to propagate the myth, even after they all know who's in the elite, that it's all false, right? It's about telling a story that people can buy into that allows them to justify something they otherwise wouldn't justify. So one of the best things you can do when thinking about politics, one of the best things that we talk about, we want to equip people in order to better understand the news and better understand the world. Lose your illusions first. That's the, it's way more important to lose an illusion of truth than it is to find something that you're absolutely certain about losing the magic words, right? When, when Kyle says cast a spell on you, I think he means that technically <laughs> like, yeah. like yes, there are magic words that exist and you're a human being that lives by words having meaning. And you're a human being that lives by a reputational system that says, I can't, I don't want to get so far outside of my reputational system that I end up losing face, right? This is like deep down monkey brain type stuff. And when you say democracy, there's a certain group of people who are going to go, well, I can't be seen having, you know, opposing democracy, though. So therefore, any amount of Ukrainian bodies are a blood sacrifice I am willing to tolerate to keep democracy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. just in the way that hacks the brain is the spell in this case. And it's, not, it's literally like a flip gets switched. It's like you believe one thing and then they say, but in order to preserve democracy and you're like flip switch. Oh, yes, in order to preserve democracy. And then yeah. you, you move on to the next thing, right? Mm. Right. In order to pres- preserve the future, we have to, even though we know Iraq was a lie, we have to make sure that we stay there and we plan a new, you know, government. Let me, let me give you an example of like the, what the elites really believe versus what they say. So um, we're sound very Alex Jonesy right now, but I'm going to give you a real source stuff here. Okay. <laughs> we have the documents. Project, <laughs> I got the documents. The project for a new American century, right? Released by the CFR basically says, hey, this is an idea for how the future of the United States might be able to use its unipolar moment or us as the sole superpower after the collapse of the Soviet Union for good. What we're going to do is we're going to go to the Middle East and we're going to overthrow these countries and we're going to uh, create them as liberal democracies because liberal democracies don't attack each other and that will cause peace in the Middle East and yada, yada, yada. Right. I'm. It's more sophisticated than that. I'm giving a very truncated vision of what it says. But the policy end goal was invade certain countries and and to create peace in the Middle East and create long-term prosperity across the globe. America is going to use its unipolar moment in this way that will increase democracy, right? They didn't mean that as magic word. They literally just thought that that was the best way to create peace, right? Because democracies tend not to attack each other. This was a way to take the sins of the past of colonialism and the creation of these Middle Eastern states and turn it into a peaceful and prosperous future from by their point of view. I'm steel manning their point of view. And then to the public, they said, 
Ukraine has, or sorry, Ukraine, Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. And they're a threat to the liberal world order. And they're trying to get a nuke. Oh, did you know that they might have something to do with Al-Qaeda? They never did. Saddam, we lied so about Saddam that. literally has babies in incubators. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's, that was the Iraq War One, right? Yeah. Uh, it was. Oh, I guess, uh, yeah, that's pre uh, yeah, project Saddam invading century. Kuwait goes in, like, there was a myth propagated by a very particular person. This is well documented in Scott Horton's work about them going into hospitals and killing babies in incubators. <laughs> right. And it was completely false, completely made up, and everyone knows it. And people probably at the time went, that's probably BS, but I'm going to repeat it because it's an interesting story. Did he really gas his own people? Oh, for sure. But okay. it was with our weapons. Mm. It was the weapons we gave him to fight against the Iranians in the Cold War. So, <laughs> but, they, but they didn't, th- that wasn't and, the, and, enough and really and for them to... It wasn't his people. It was the people that the, that the Sykes-Picot agreement crammed into his country in order to make a full country because we didn't want a unified Shiite or Sunni majority. We wanted Kurds to be cut up into three different groups so they couldn't be their own group. So it was actually the Kurds who were giving them a hard time. Hmm. Right. And he was doing exactly what most governments do, which is prosecute minorities. Right. <laughs> so like if we, if we invaded every country that prosecuted a minority, one, we wouldn't exist. <laughs> we because, because the British would have invaded us a long time ago. Uh, and two, like it's, it's, um, it, it would be a lot of different countries that doesn't justify it. It just says that, you know, the, the use of those weapons was one, something we enabled Two, created the conditions therein as, as the West, right? And specifically in this case, the British bear the brunt of the, of the blame because of they, the reason why Iraq has the shape of a country that it does is because of the Sykes-Pico agreement and the various agreements afterwards. And that was British led. Yes. Back in World War II. Yeah. 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 Well, mm-hmm. And the entire alliance, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but British is the ones who actually held it. That's why BP was such a major factor in Iran and Iraq uh, is because a lot of the oil fields are developed by British petroleum. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I mean, this goes way, way, way back before World War One. So, so the Sex Pico was before World War One. Uh, no, 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 you're right. You're right. It yeah, was after I, I World think War One. Was, was it between? Yeah. Was it after World War One or yeah, World War Two? World War One. So the the more recent invasion of Iraq during under George W. Bush, you know, with the uh, the assertion that they had weapons of mass destruction was basically the liberal world order kind of saying, okay, we want to enact this vision that we see for the world, but in order to sell that vision to the public, we need to we need to have this narrative, this story of weapons of mass destruction, threat to democracy, all of that stuff, in order to get people to support it to go mm-hmm. in. And they also had needed a catalyzing moment, and they got that with 9-11. Now, I'm not saying that the government did 9-11. What I'm saying is they took advantage of an opportunity, right? It, it, this is a, I'm going to criticize the right and the conspiratorial right real quick. Just because two events happened that happened to serve the same interest does not mean that they were caused by a centralizing agency, mm-hmm. right? So just because a bio leak, uh, uh, um, a, a leak of a virus in Wuhan, China, happens to coincide with a bunch of people switching to a more Chinese response pandemic policy doesn't mean that those two things were caused in interest of one another. That just means that two things happened and a bunch of actors saw the incentive and responded to it decentrally. So a bunch of people saw that and said, hey, this is a great opportunity for us to test out the thing that we've been working on since the George Bush administration to drop the Swedish model and start implementing a more statist model for pandemic response by incarcerating not the vulnerable, by incarcerating everybody to prevent spread. Um, So the the same thing with the war in Iraq, right? So 9-11 happens. That happens because of reasons that we understand, right? By Al-Qaeda 
to America for reasons that we have means, motive, material evidence, smoking gun. We have everything to believe that it happened exactly the way we think it did. That said, the government definitely did not allow the, the crisis to go away. They passed the Patriot Act. They decided to use this two days afterwards. Two days, according to an autobiography by um, uh, Secretary of Defense at the time. They were already talking about Iraq after 9-11. Now, it took a long time to build up the case for why they also want to do that. But Afghanistan and Iraq became a major priority of the administration really soon. Not for the reason that you were told, right, because of weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction but because of the neoconservative movement and the belief fundamentally not to just pull off the plan from a project for a new American century, but rather to see those broad general goals and to try to get them realized in the time that they had where they were in power. And that's what they did. And that's uh, it doesn't require a centralizing conspiratorial force. It just requires people to have ideas, to have incentives, to have moments of opportunity, and then to take advantage of them when you're aligned in principle and vision. Absolutely. And well, that, it requires no centralizing force or conspiracy, like the Illuminati or the whatever. Right, right, right. Well, because like the, the never let a crisis go to waste is attributed to a lot of people. Like Rahm Emanuel said it about uh, the financial crisis. Winston Churchill said it about it, um, said it about the formation of the uh, United Nations. Hmm. And it's just like these moments, these crazy moments that kind of gets every everybody's energy focused into a certain direction, like 9-11 or financial crisis or whatever. This is prime opportunity for the wizards to cast their spells. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is like when COVID happened, this is the prime opportunity to start pushing in vaccine passports, lockdowns, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. When 9-11 happens, this is the prime opportunity to start pushing forward the project for a new American century vision because it's not, now we have an opportunity to get all of the regular people on board because we can have a central mythos about something, mm-hmm. right? Well, and I think it's really interesting timing that this comes post-COVID because that was an enormous opportunity where everyone was put through an extremely traumatic event and then basically shoved out the other side in such a way that that aligned everyone's uh awareness and mentality towards going back to normal right and and uh, dr matthias desmond talks about this in um, the psychology of authoritarianism which is his book talking about what mass formation psychosis is which he lays out exactly what that is all of the steps that are required in order to put a population into basically a, co- a collective hypnosis where they're very, very malleable and very directional and, and able to be maneuvered towards whatever end that you want. And so going through COVID put the world's population into that sort of state, according to Dr. Matthias Desmond. And then you notice as soon as COVID is over, Ukraine war and boom, everyone that was super pro, you know, lockdown or whatever it was, uh, on a on a given narrative regarding COVID was all of a sudden, almost without fail, all in support of Ukraine. Well, and continuing the medical terminology, if you are somebody, if you are an outlier that is defying the crowd's collective vision towards something, their collective push, that's when the white blood cells attack, right? Right. And then you have to be pushed out of, you got unpersoned, debanked, um, banned on your social media, right? Like these are just like the new formations of how the white blood cells attack Dude, in right. current society. Nigel, Nigel Farage has been debanked. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, 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 and something what Nigel Farage said, too, is there's a lot of people that have been debanked, but they're afraid to say so publicly because it'll affect their credit scores. Right. Whoa. So you have a lot of powerful people that are powerful people. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I would say Nigel Farage is powerful if he's getting debanked from, you know, every major well, he institution. Retired. That was um, the thing. He like Brexit happened. and He was like, I'm out. This is what I was here for. This is, I've been yeah. here doing this for two decades and I'm out. Now he's just like a speaker. He's like yeah. a public speaker. Yeah. Right? But he got to bank. That's so crazy. Yeah. Like that's a major political figure. That'd be like, that'd be like, 
Jordan Peterson getting debanked, right? Or well, like not quite that well, level of fame, remember, but like remember major American the, figure or in this case Canadian or whatever, but a major figure in the politics of their country. Well, remember back in the day when the, the Patreon scandals were happening yeah. because Patreon is a, for those that don't know, Patreon's a thing for content creators to kind of go for an alternative payment system away from YouTube for like a subscription service kind of a thing. Um, and who was it originally that got hit? I can't remember who. Was it Alex Jones? Ruben. Ruben. It was Ruben. Yeah. There, there was a there was a string of people that all got. I think Milo Yiannopoulos. I think it was yeah. like a bunch of people that all got hit. And Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson both kind of came together um, and said that we're going to leave Patreon because of this. And Patreon came out and said, "It's not us that wants to ban all these people. It's Mastercard that says they will not continue services with us unless we get rid of these people." Mm. Right. Ah, that's so crazy. like, and and that's and you can go. You like. MasterCard, Visa, all these major payment processors, they have lists of like people that cannot work with like these are these lists are public. <laughs> Why do these lists exist? Um, Why is the there's a forcing function for that? Because well, you think as a merchant that you would be like, I just want the I business. just want as many people on here yeah. so I can acquire transaction fees, right? Right. right. Um, I think as Kyle said earlier, the money is just ESG a tool. Mm-hmm. What the real pursuit is the control is the power to say I can dictate if you can use my service or not. I don't need your money. Mm-hmm. I have everyone else's money. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's but, funny because there's all kinds of public access laws too, right? Like if you're a public bit, a, a, a business available for public to discriminate is actually very difficult to do typically. Um, and there are lots of belief discrimination protections. So I'd wonder about that. Like someone should sue MasterCard. Well, I mean, how do you, how do you look at, uh, you know, say GoFundMe or whatever it was that decided to cancel the fundraising campaign for the, the Marine truckers. Yeah. for the Marine who, uh, you know, ch- oh. killed the guy on the subway yeah. ch- trying to protect the people on the train or, you know, whatever. Well, this occurred. was also the Canadian truckers, Canadian too. truckers. Also exactly. GoFundMe. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like how do you, how do you look at these companies and, and, and not suggest the same thing? They're, yeah. they're all sort of implicitly allowed to do it. It seems like because yeah. the power structure in place agrees with their reasonings and agrees with the fact that they don't support the people who they're, who they're debanking effectively. So yeah. why would they prosecute them? For so that? I do. Th- oh, so there's two cases there that I do I'm just trying to apply some philosophy to it. On uh, one sense that as a private business, they have a right to be able to deny, you know, using their business with somebody. Sure. Right? I think that principally, right. Start out. I, I would just say that there are lots of laws that don't follow that principle since the civil rights act that I wonder about whether or not they're actually in violation of, and some lawyer could make a lot of money, maybe take advantage of that. And then second, um, the fraud, right? The, the thing that was particularly disturbing about the truck truckers thing is they didn't reimburse people. Yeah. <laughs> what they gave to that. Just froze they their gave accounts. It to and... themselves or to other people. That's fraud. That you can't, that seems very illegal to me. Mm-hmm. And once again, someone should, could make a lot of money suing on that behalf. Yeah. Well, and then there enter things like the DEI, the ESGs, more mm-hmm. of these acronyms that are always thrown around. But you, when you enter into that as like all these companies are public shareholders, they all have to follow certain things in order to be kind of considered as part of the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or any. You have to hit certain quotas and, um, you know, you got to impress Larry Fink. And if you don't impress Larry Fink say goodbye to a lot of your shareholder value. Mm. Um, like these, th- these things are major, you know, aspects to this and you want a good S on your ESG score. And if you don't have a good S, like that's a problem. Like you're not, you're not benefiting your shareholders according to Larry Fink mm. and Larry Fink controls the economy. <laughs> like for the most part, like he doesn't, he's not like, a you know, but like he has major influence over the economy. Like right. he puts out a quarterly report and about the S and P 500 and it's very important. It's mm. very important, mm. you know? So like 
if you're not following these certain protocols that are kind of laid for forward for you, like like I like I always say, ESGs are a um, are are like a Trojan horse, and and they're a means of control. They slip right in, and then that is how you kind of control the apparatus. You have you you have these entities coming in, and and they buy up 25 percent of the public shares of the companies, and then they have all the vote voting rights on here. They're able to push things, and then and then the companies have to go for them. Like this is how corporate America has become like co-opted by these movements right here. Um, I, I actually I highly recommend someone. Are you listening to um, the Twitter spaces between David Sachs, um, uh, Elon Musk and Vivek Ramaswamy? They spend like a good 30 minutes talking about this. And you're hearing literally the world's richest man talking about how how ESGs are used to control corporate America. <laughs> like mm. very worth listening to. Um, we should put that in the show notes. Yeah. Cause I would like to check that out yeah, as well. It was, it was last week. It was very good. Um, before we get out of here and I know we're getting close to the end of our time, I want to end on a, on a bright spot, a, perhaps a revolutionary human achievement that, uh, has just come about. It was it's actually, I think it was first published before, uh, we recorded last week, but, um, we're getting to it now. LK 99, a, not uh, that guy. No, no, no. Get that, get that sorry we'll disgrace a, we'll for a ginger off the screen. We'll do a monologue on. Uh, okay, I, 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 tra- I tried to see where you were going, and I tried, I tried to predict it. <laughs> you were trying to skate where the puck was going, but uh, the puck the, went the other direction. Bring up uh, under medium, under quantum locking. We'll get to that. So there's this new material that's been invented by, is it Korean? South Korean. So, uh, South Korean scientists. Um, it's, it's a superconductor and these things have existed for a long time, but typically they take extreme environments to work, right? It's like extreme pressure, extremely cold temperature. And so the interesting thing about this one is that it operates at room temperature and ambient pressure, Mm -hmm. making it extremely applicable to a lot of different applications, uh, that could dramatically change humanity for the better. So, um, the important difference here, we're going to show what quantum locking is because it demonstrates what's valuable about this. Now, normally it's at extreme temperatures. Like you said, very, mm-hmm. very cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle, go ahead and play it forward just on mute here and I'll, uh, I'll narrate it through because it's, it's the audio is real rough. So this is quantum locking, right? Basically what it says is that this, the relationship between the atoms of this are fixed. Whoa. And they hover at a very specific, they also, they also can move with momentum, right? If you propel it forward over a track that's made of the same thing, it moves with without with like zero resistance. So for those of you just listening, we've got a, a set of magnets and then a material over the top. And, and you know, you, you would expect with magnetic levitation that we currently have, it can sit parallel, but this person is able to apply pressure to it and manipulate it so that it hovers in a... In, in whatever position he, he manipulates it Ad- to. Additionally to that, it requires the energy input of keeping it very cold, which is very expensive uh, using this typically. And then EV mag requires uh, a lot of energy to propel the thing, but this requires zero energy. Dude, Look how it goes. Dude. So it's just the momentum of his finger flip. There's no energy moving that thing forward after it's pushed because all it has is wind resistance. Right, so it takes far less energy to to create and 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 maintain the quantum lock. Additionally, that the mag lift has a propel away, while this has a lock between the atoms from the bottom to the top. Does that, that make is sense? Incredible. Yeah. So, so it doesn't it doesn't want to slide off the track. I mean, we're watching yeah. this little uh, puck. This it looks like a little stone puck travel around a a circular track here and and it doesn't want to fly off the edge of the track there's nothing holding it to this thing it's just going in a perfect circle we'll we'll link to this video in the show notes so you can check it out it's fascinating he just tipped it on its side Mm -hmm. and now the thing is totally locked 
traveling at an angle around this circle. It's mm-hmm. they also do insane. it upside down. Yeah, you can watch it do it upside down. Oh, what? Okay, so now the now the so, little puck is underneath the plate instead uh-huh. of sitting on top. It's hovering below, within you know a centimeter of this disc, and still just suspended. So one of my questions is how much weight can it bear without the uh, since the locking is itself quantum. I wonder how that works. But the um, the important thing to understand about LK99 is that unlike needing the energy expenditure to keep the device very, very cool, it can operate at room temperatures. So what that means is you have perfect conduction between these things at room temperature. So you don't need energy in in order to transfer the energy out. Right. right. What, what it means is that the amount of energy in stays preserved. So um, I'll give you a couple examples of why this is so important. Imagine a train that permanently, levit- permanently levitates with zero energy expenditure as long as it's made out of the right things and you put the right things in the right distance relationship to each other. He's I'm now sorry. levitating bread. Now we're looking at bread <laughs> flying around in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you got to watch this on YouTube because you can watch us react to flying bread. <laughs> or Spotify. Uh, yeah. So the next one is uh, imagine, uh, imagine power uh, moving across long distances with zero energy loss. One of the problems of the power grid is okay so you have like a power producer in uh coal strip montana that moves energy all the way to the west coast in oregon over that distance there's a resistance that happens that causes energy loss i wish evan was here because he could explain a lot more elegantly but effectively the the electrons they kind of bump into each other and they don't move out like perfectly across the distances as they bump into each other they careen into the various different different um um, insulation, things like that. And they actually are dissipated in the, in the process. So as you heat. lose power over it as heat. As yes. heat. Yes. This would mean if you use this, according to the theory of it, you could have perfect transfer of energy over long distances because the electrons are perfectly conducted, superconduction, right? They would literally sit in a perfect line. Incredible. Um, imagine storing energy in a superconductor loop forever, right? Because you could store energy in and there would be zero energy loss out. So even in the best batteries that we have currently, as you store energy in, there's a loss uh, in the uh, bioelectrical exchange, yeah, right? Between, like, not biochemical, chemical uh, electrical exchange. Like lithium, in, lithium batteries will lose like 1% a month or something like that. Right, right, yeah. right. So imagine this would, this would mean perfect storage permanently forever, ever. Uh, and then, um, and then uh, quantum, uh, it, this is really important for controlling nuclear fusion far cheaper and longer. Uh, so right now, nuclear fusion requires a ton of energy input. This would address it in order to like create the magnetic fields in order to control the uh, fusion reactor. Um, still theoretical. We don't have... Uh, well, well, we have some early signs. There was some reporting from a couple of months ago about a, a fusion reactor that was actually putting out more, in, more energy than it was taken in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this would drastically improve that because rather than having active energy input to control the me- the, um, the uh, magnetic fields, you would just have this material used to protect and create the magnetic fields. Um, and then lastly, important uh, for second stage quantum computing, meaning taking quantum computing from uh, the kind of existing where it's just like zero user interface and no, like you can't really use a quantum computer as a personal computer to that next place of personal computing because of how much more efficient it is at um, the delivery of and movement of electrical signals. So really crazy, so cool. lots of uh, uh, um, amazing technical possibilities with it. If true, we don't know that yet. Hasn't been replicated. Well, it's very it's very <laughs> new, and so there's a lot of development left to be done on it. But I think it's in, it's indicative of 
something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, the people that don't believe in humanity, that don't believe in people that feel like there's too many of us on the planet or whatever are just, just wrong. Because what if this person, this team that created this cool technology that could literally revolutionize humanity, uh, was, was never born or was, you know, somehow, uh, terribly removed from the planet because of some sort of anti-human agenda. Mm. That would be freaking awful. Think about the potential that this, that this holds for people. Like this could be incredible. This could change so many things. Think about, I mean, just what you talked about nuclear energy, making it safer, more, more efficient. I mean, we're talking about scale of things that, that is probably not even comprehensible yeah. at this point. It also, it also makes uh, so clear why, you know, bigotry is stupid yeah. right? and just so dumb. No one cares that these guys were Korean. No one cares. Yeah. What matters is that they discovered something potentially amazing and they published it openly for anyone to duplicate. And people are trying to duplicate it now. Awesome. Right? So like it's, that is what science should be. That is what a liberal order in the classical sense should be, where we don't care what you, what, uh, you know, the, the color of your skin. We care about what you contribute to the larger social order mm-hmm. to make the world a better place. And this might be one of those opportunities to do so. I well, this is another reason why I love where like like the open source movement when it comes to coding mm. is just because anybody can put stuff out online and anybody can critique it. Everybody, anybody can take it, enhance it. Everybody kind of knows what's going on. It's not closed behind locked doors. It's just kind of an open movement of people just building things and pushing humanity forward with our technology, right? Well, it raises a conversation that we should have uh, on a subsequent episode about intellectual property and all that <laughs> stuff, because that's a that's a really interesting subject, <laughs> at least to me. But I'm a bit of a nerd, and uh, yeah, we can get into it. Yeah, we should. Well, I guess on behalf of myself and these other two nerds, we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Please do wherever you're listening to this, offer us a review on Spotify or your podcast platform of choice. Drop us a comment if there's if you have a question, if there's something particularly you liked or you want us to cover on a future episode. Like it, subscribe to the channel, share with your friends, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Liberty Portal podcast. To help us fight internet censorship, we really appreciate it if you like, comment, subscribe, follow, hit the notification bell, do whatever it is that you do wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. To find us on social media and everywhere around the web, visit us at linktree.com slash libertyportalpod. 